Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Hey, while you weren't looking, guess what happened to the green movement? It got co-opted by the radical left. You know, the sort of people who really espouse Marxism rather than environmentalism. Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the gruesome green details. And as Billy Red Lions used to say, don't you dare miss it. I speak not of a wrestling card, but rather about an upcoming Rebel News docuseries entitled The Great Reset. One of the producers of this series, Kian Simone, will join me to discuss what Klaus Schwab and company are perhaps planning for the planet in the months and years ahead. And letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses about the freedom fighter, Jim Kerr. You see, Jim got his beloved bubble bus towed away, not once, but twice, by the Ottawa Police Service during the Rolling Thunder celebration. And no, the bus was not occupying a so-called special event, no stopping zone, but rather it was legally parked on private parking lots. Apparently, blowing bubbles near the Parliament buildings is strictly verboten. Unbelievable. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. So climate change, which is a totally fictitious environmental cause, I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. As I say, it should be a public yeah. works issue. Climate change has come to dominate the environmental movement. And, you know, anybody associated with the climate scare, when it's finally revealed that people like Dr. Happer are right, and that we've, we certainly have no climate emergency and none forecast either, even with a doubling of CO2, when the whole climate scare becomes disgraced, Whoever is associated with it will be disgraced too. And that includes, by the way, nuclear power, who are using it as a great marketing tool, which I think is kind of sad because nuclear power is important, but not because of climate change. Right. And so the environmental movement as a whole should be very concerned about this because their favorite child, you know, their poster child will be disgraced and they will be along with it. Is green the new red? That's what it increasingly looks like these days, thanks to the environmentalist movement being almost completely hijacked by the radical left, a group that never met a cause it didn't want to co-opt for political gain. Well, thank goodness for the likes of Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition Canada in calling out the enviral BS as this miserable movement continues to wage war on our fossil fuel industry. That's because, for the most part, government and the mainstream media are, alas, simpatico with these climate kooks. And joining me now for more on how the green movement has more in common, it would seem, with Marxism as opposed to environmentalism is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Always a pleasure. So, Sheila, as you pointed out, environmentalism is no longer about keeping nature clean and healthy, nor is it about fighting particulates and cutting back on real pollution. 
old-fashioned conservatism uh, has given, uh, or sorry, old-fashioned conservation, rather, has given way to um, something else in order to maintain this narrative of climate change. Sheila, I think this movement is truly the scam of the century. How did we get here to begin with? You know, it was slow and it took advantage of people's benevolence. You know, we all hate pollution, right? Like actual pollution, particulate, garbage on the streets. Nobody likes that. People want to preserve nature, but it's then the environmentalist movement starts saying that, well, if you hate pollution, let's rename carbon dioxide as pollution and then therefore you must take carbon dioxide. And if carbon dioxide is pollution, let's bring in this carbon tax to stop carbon pollution. It's sort of this word game thing that they play. And they've really co-opted, as you say, the conservationist movement. You see, what used to be organizations like Ducks Unlimited and the Sierra Club, they used to kind of be focused focused on keeping the environment clean. But now if you go to their websites, it's all about climate change. It's all about, you know, uh, lower emissions and fighting the war on carbon dioxide, which, as you know, is also just, you know, the product of respiration, of human respiration. It's not exactly pollution. It's plant food. They pump it into greenhouses. But there has been this shift all along the way, step by step, to turn the products of burning fossil fuels into pollution. And if you don't like pollution and if you want a clean clean environment, then you have to fight this pollution too. You know, and I look at the last two years we've gone through with COVID and some environmentalists and some environmental groups like um, the kooks at Extinction Rebellion, they're basically saying because carbon emissions generally went down, well, that's what happens when everyone's staying at home and not driving and factories are shut down, not producing anything. Uh, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe like yeah. the Olympics, every four years, a complete and utter shutdown of the world economy. Uh, Sheila, are are these people on drugs? I mean, do they not realize how economies work, how people make livelihoods? Well, they could be on drugs, I would guess, <laughs> if I had to guess, marijuana or ayahuasca. But uh, besides that, their their bad ideas really come from their ideology. It's true that they look at the drop in emissions due to everybody being locked down in their homes and businesses being destroyed, they see that as something they can replicate, not just every four years, David, but they say for a time every single year, oh. we just lock down the world so that we meet our climate targets. Um, and on the flip side, in reality, while they are pursuing, I don't know, protecting mother nature, which is you know, not actually a thing or a person, real people are dying. Yeah. Because um, a report just came out on uh, May 10th here in Alberta, a report done by five Alberta Health Services officials, probably the five remaining good ones there, um, suggests that excess death rates in the province increased during the first year and a half of the pandemic. But it wasn't old people because this takes out the deaths of or with COVID. And we have excess deaths, but it is mainly in young people. These are the deaths of despair. These are the deaths 
of suicide, drug overdose, and delayed medical treatment because we locked down our healthcare system to protect a surge that never came. That is the human cost of what will be rotating, um, rolling climate lockdowns that the environmentalists and the World Economic Forum want for the world so that they meet their targets. These people will be just, I guess, collateral losses in the war on fossil fuels. And Sheila, you're you're absolutely right. And the tragic thing is these people have no issue with the actual loss of human life if uh, because it's all about the ends justifying the means. We're running out of time, but I want to talk one other factor about environmentalism in this day and age. It seems as though the left is saying we own this file. And yet I go back to the 1980s, I think of a true environmental boogeyman that was out there, which was acid rain. You could go to some Ontario lakes. They were as clear as uh, bottled water, but there was no life. There was no fish. There was no snakes, frogs, you name it. Um, and yet Mulroney, uh, with the, the conservative, uh, the progressive conservative party, the federal one back then, got together first with Reagan, then later with Bush. They got together to reduce sulfur and nitrogen oxides. And as I understand it, um, those emissions went down 63 percent from 1990 to 2014. So it was a real environmental issue. It was tackled without um, putting people out of work and closing down factories. And it was a success. And those were conservatives uh, behind that kind of environmental stewardship. What are your thoughts, Sheila? You know, there has been a neglect of fighting real pollution. And I don't mean plastic pollution because I love plastic. It is a stored fossil fuel. You can just burn it when you're done using it. It's wonderful when you think about it that way. But there has been a real neglect of fighting actual pollution in the world while the environmentalists fight, you know, carbon pollution, as they call it. For example, mainland China is barfing CFCs into hmm. that entire region of the world. They're not doing anything about it. Um, it. If you care about these sorts of things, and I'm not sure I do, but the left tells me they do, under Stephen Harper, emissions plummeted. Plummeted. Um, under Trump, also, emissions plummeted. Greenhouse gas emissions plummeted. And again, that was largely through the embrace of fracking. Um, because it unlocked all this clean burning natural gas. Uh, emissions have gone up under Justin Trudeau. They continue to go up because none of this, none of this is about fighting greenhouse gas emissions. The useful idiots in the environmentalist movement, they're happy to say that it is because they don't really know any better. But if you go back a little bit, look at the macro of this, it's really about using climate change as a means to control your life to lock you down, to make sure you eat bugs, not meat, to yeah. make sure you drive this stupid car and not that efficient car, that you never leave your house and that you work remotely so that you're isolated from people who give you a baseline of normal. That's what this is about. This is about wanting to control the movements of humanity. Basically, it comes down to people who want to be left alone and the people who won't leave you alone and want to control your life. And right now, we're back to climate change being the tool by which they do that. For two years, it was COVID. Before that was climate change. It'll always be something. But right now, because because we've sort of moved out of COVID, we've gone back to climate change as the way to control a normal person's life. 
You're 100% correct, uh, Sheila, and I'll leave you this. I, I remember, I believe it was 2019, I was in Vancouver. Uh, little Greta Thunberg was there to a packed crowd of uh, greenies. And after the event was over, I couldn't help but notice how many people just left their signs behind as Every litter. Time. Good old, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, folks, uh, in that movement, do you not see the utter hypocrisy of doing that? But, Sheila, great interview, and thank goodness for guys like Mr. Harris, who are calling offside when it comes to the kooky environmentalist movement that really is driven more, as you said, by controlling our lives and virtue signaling as opposed to actually doing something tangible about the environment. Thank you again, Sheila. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You too. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say, our city. Boy, the uh, conspiracy theories are coming fast and furious these days. I can't keep up. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. Uh, what we're talking about here is uh, kind of distrust of institution. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I'm not there. It's important that we look at what's happening right in front of us. Shopping? I can't really remember what that is. For most of us, it has been turned into choosing things to use. Sometimes I find this fun, and sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me. It knows my taste better than I do by now. Control your soul's desire for freedom, it says. Any effort to succeed at delivering on the sustainable development goals. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city. Those we lost on the way. Those who decided that it became too much, all this technology. Those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over parts of our jobs. I get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy. Nowhere I can go and not be registered. I know that somewhere, everything I do, think, and dream of is recorded. We want to be a very tra transparent organization. Wow, it almost looks like something taken from Monster Chiller Horror Theater, but The Great Reset is no SCTV comedy sketch. It's real, and it's downright disturbing. And joining me now is one of the producers of the docuseries that is set to premiere later this month, and that would be Kian Simone from Calgary. How you doing, Kian? Great. How are you, David? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now, Kian, before we get into the nitty-gritty here, what, pray tell, is The Great Reset to begin with? Well, The Great Reset is a uh, reimagination of our complete society. It's, uh, it starts with the five pillars, uh, economic, geopolitical, societal, 
environmental, technological. That's five there, uh, where there's man Klaus Schwab believes. Just one second, we have a dog out. But this uh, one man believes that uh, everything should be in his own vision, which mm. is is radical left. Just a, it's it's as simple as that. It's it's just a radical left movement to to reimagine society. It sounds like totalitarianism on steroids, Kian. Oh, it is, and it's it's in it's right in the open, and they and they aren't hiding. It. They don't use the word totalitarian, but they use all every aspect of of what that would mean um, when they speak about what they want to do. You know, Kian, I I'm wondering. How many people are on board with this great reset, especially uh, during COVID? And I say that because, you know, I wander around the GTA and I see young, healthy people outdoors wearing face masks, even though the mask mandate is gone and the closure of shopping malls and theaters and restaurants, that's all over with. And to me, Ken, that means... It's not really about the virus anymore, given that these mandates have been lifted by the chief medical health officers. I see it as a symbol. And the symbol is this. I like big government. I like big lockdowns. I like being told what to do. And I just wonder, do you think those people, if you said, hey, are you on board with the Great Reset? The answer might be, oh, hell yeah. Well, you know, Dave, it's funny. I was just talking about this last night with my fiance. I, I've never heard a person on the left back the World Economic Forum that they would um, back the science. They don't, when, when you speak about these things, they don't say, oh, the World Economic Forum is doing great things. I've never heard. <laughs> but I found it really funny that I've never heard someone back them. Um, but yeah, like you said, the, the mask is, is a symbol. And I think it, it's a symbol for what they really want. And that's us living in pods and eating the bugs. It's what can we get you to do over and over and over until you think that it's normal. And, and then what can we do to get you to do something over and over until you do whatever we say is, is basically what that is. You know, Keenan, it's amazing how much the world has changed, especially for the younger generations. Uh, we go back some 60 years ago, they were on campus uh, staging demonstrations uh, in support of full civil rights um, against the Vietnam War. And now it's, um, we kind of like what big government's doing and we wanted to get bigger. How did this mindset uh, come to be? Is it just key in my theory is decades of indoctrination by those in the education system and other areas of our lives, Hollywood, sports, uh, the judicial system, you name it, in terms of promoting far leftism? Well, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it starts in the 70s and, and people will learn this in the documentary, um, the first episode that's coming out is the World Economic Forum started in 1971. And it started in Europe as the European, uh, I can never say this word, symposium, mm. uh, which is, this is all just after um, JFK was in office. Um, and, you know, he, he was very up against this communism. It's just during the Cold War where um, all of this nonsense was going on about communism trying to come in. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is a, what, 70, 50 years ago, I'm doing math probably wrong here. It's, it's a 50 years plan that these people have had it and they've never steered off of it. They, they've never changed their direction of what they want to do. 
every year since then has has been about totally radicalizing our society and it's taken them a very long time and uh just to just to get ahead of myself here and i, I think that they've been waiting for something like this this being covid um for for this plan to come into fruition so that they can finally move forward and stop talking about it at uh in davos and actually uh start telling our government what to do. <laughs> and, and, you know, Keen, I, I when I look at uh, Klaus Schwab, certainly he's the uh, figurehead for the World Economic Forum. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I see that uh, gentleman, he gives me a vibe of either Lex Luthor or Dr. Evil. The only thing missing is his pinky finger going up to his lip when he says something profound. But I'm wondering, when it comes to the major movers and shakers, um, who's who in the WEF zoo? Um, I'm thinking it's the likes of, say, Bill Gates or Dr. Fauci. What are your opinions on that? Yeah, so uh, you could go back to when it started. Um, Klaus Schwab was a nobody. Klaus Schwab was a random German. And uh, when there went, weren't many Germans in America at the time, uh, he was in Harvard. And there was a CIA-ran program, believe it or not, in Harvard, um, looking for looking for prospects to to start what they would call at the time the European uh, Symposium. Um, so they they it's basically it was Karl Schwab was picked to do this, and uh, it was it was when Henry Kissinger was working in office um, for Richard Nixon, I believe it was. Um, so so just just naming these people, you're like you're you're getting into the the uh, the quote unquote elites, the, the people who who make the laws, the people who do all that, do all that kind of stuff there. Um, going over the years, you know, you're, you're getting all the world leaders um, from every country at these, at these symposiums until it turned into the World Economic Forum. And now that it's the World Economic Forum, they, they branch off into what I was talking about before, the five pillars of society. So they take the best, the highest and the brightest, quote-unquote, um, from those pillars of society, and, and they pick who is uh, making a dent in the world so uh, just a two-minute rant here. There's there's something called the, the technology pioneers, and this is just an example of who really runs these kind of things. Um, the technology pioneers is a program that happens every year in Davos alongside of the World Economic Forum annual meeting where they basically pick 30 companies a year who are, um, who are prospects of changing how we interact with life. It's just tech, technology at its finest, right? Um, some of these examples actually are Twitter, Spotify, Airbnb, Google. All of these companies in their start of year started in the World Economic Forum at that technology pioneer. So they're taking people that, and companies and small companies and startups as they're starting, as they're just as they're just building the totem pole, and they're bringing them in and saying, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll give you the help. We'll give you the help you need." And then look where all these companies have turned into. So who's behind it? Is it Klaus Schwab? I don't think so. I think it's, it is just a conglomerate of, of, of people who, are, who have the money. And it's, and it's not to say that all these companies want to start off and, and be woke and, and, and uh, be part of this agenda, but they've got the money and, and they gave them the boost that they need. And, of course, uh, getting a stranglehold, if that is the case, on social media, um, it's a brilliant move if you want to control the narrative in terms of uh, propaganda. One last question, Ken, because we're running out of time. You brought up social media, and 
I want to end this interview on a positive note, and you tell me if I'm offside here, but I think there is a counterbalance now to the WEF in a big way, and that person is Elon Musk. His successful uh, hostile takeover of Twitter um, means that there's no longer as big a monopoly on social media that if Elon Musk comes as advertised, uh, he's going to be a voice for freedom. I don't think he hangs with the WEF cabal. In fact, I think since he took over Twitter, he's probably uh, a major persona non grata. Your thoughts? Uh, Elon Musk, I believe, in 2018, was the key speaker at the uh, World Economic Forum, which doesn't always mean someone is bad. Remember, Donald Trump spoke there. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always mean someone's bad, but over the years, Elon Musk has um, shared the same ideas like universal basic income, um, implanting something in your brain, which is a very controversial topic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, you know, just because you share these ideas with, with the people um, doesn't he seems to be the one who's actually doing it first and doing it the right way. Mm. So I, I I do think that it's ending on a positive note. and I think that he's an issue for them now. Um, you know, just because he hung out with them before doesn't mean that he's he's with them now. Look at his look at his interaction with Bill Gates. And Bill Gates is the biggest propagator in the, in the World Economic Forum. And I don't think they like each other very much. Well, certainly uh, Elon Musk is not perfect, but really who is? But I see it. Uh, I see Mr. Musk as being a counterbalance to those on Team WEF. Um, one last question. Uh, when does this docuseries premiere? Well, I'll tell you that, David. So we're going to leave it for a surprise, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be dropping a few trailers over the next few days. Um, but what I, what I can say is that uh, it will be very, very, very soon. Well, Kian, I can hardly wait to see it. If the docuseries is as good as the trailer, it's going to be a five-coupon ride. I can't <laughs> wait. Kian, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thanks, David. You got it. And that was Kian Simone in Calgary. Keep with us, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. If you come, listen to me. If you come back, you're going to be arrested. Back okay? where? For trespass. Okay, here. Don't resist, don't resist. Don't resist. You're under arrest. Let's go. You said you told the truth. You gave lots of time. I'm trying to get out of here. I had to go. Don't resist. Don't resist. Don't resist. Sir, you're under arrest. Let's go. Unbelievable for blowing bubbles. You're under arrest for trespassing right now, okay? We'll deal with this. to do is have a conversation with somebody who can give me an answer that makes sense that's all if you tell me how I'm literally breaking the law or doing something that is illegal or is going to hurt someone tell me that and I will respond I don't need force you know folks we often bump into Jim Kerr at freedom rallies I think he's a genuinely nice guy in fact I don't even think he has a mean bone in his entire body and that's what really makes this story so infuriating Jim isn't the sort of guy that goes around wearing trouble on his shirt, yet the police treated him like public enemy number one at the Rolling Thunder event in Ottawa. And for what? Blowing bubbles? Really, guys? You know, we try to back the blue here at Rebel News, but when we come across this kind of horrible policing, 
it really makes it hard for us to support law enforcement. In any event, you had plenty to say about the bashing of the bubble bus for no good reason whatsoever. Goodness Unite writes, how can they tow something that is on private property? And he wasn't making obscene noise or speeding, spreading hate or violence, just spreading joy through effing bubbles. Those people who took his money and then called the police on him. And how come dozens of officers to one freaking person? WTF? Has Trudeau done to the Canadian law enforcement? It's effing sick. Well, you know, I feel your rage, Goodness Unite. And who knows, maybe the police leaned on the owners to make a complaint. Can't prove that allegation, but I wouldn't put it past them. Fred Kebert writes, sue the owner of the parking lot and fight those tickets in court. Those cops have bubbles for brains. You know, Fred... That's what I would do, but I don't think that's Jim's style unless his vehicle was uninsured or Jim didn't have a driver's license. I can see absolutely no valid reason to tow away his bus. What next for the Ottawa Police Service? Waging war on the ice cream trucks on Parliament Hill? Alec Kay writes, Targeted harassment is not law enforcement. These are not cops. Yes, they did target Jim and his bus, Alec. For what reason? I have no idea. Maybe to make their quotas. But alas, those were most certainly real cops, and they were sure acting like bad cops, weren't they? Eva Marie 37 writes, Good police work. They must be proud of themselves. Eva Marie, I'm willing to bet the ranch, if I had a ranch, that you are making a facetious comment here. Charlie Bravo writes, Jim is a great human. Got to warm up in the bubble bus after my sentry duty at the War Memorial last February. Good to hear, Charlie. Hope Jim didn't get in trouble for that act of kindness. And Lord Dark Helmet writes, just doing my job. The famous words of the ones that suppressed slash killed on behalf of the government. Oh, so true, Lord Dark Helmet. But let's look on the bright side. At least none of the cops shot Jim in the thigh with some sort of canister like they did to my colleague Alexa Lavoie back in February. And hey, Ottawa Police Service, how's the investigation going on that file so far? Or are you too busy towing bubble buses away? Pathetic. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.